in the town where I was born, there lived a man who went to work. And he told us of his life building spaceships on 40 pounds a week. These wise words are inscribed on the walls of Dunker's Rest, from half man, half biscuit, Lester's finest. So, it's about time we said... Our mics are live. Good evening and welcome to another week over at Hutton Orbital, digging out the nuggets of news from the salty seams of the galaxy. We've banished that other lot, so we've got a little more to do this week. I've locked Harry Balzac in the galley, prepping some delicious treats. And I've sent Lou packing again, so I get a little peace and quiet. Though, to mellow out our evening just a little bit, I borrowed a water spoon. Well, it's nice to be here again. I must say, this chair beats that uncomfortable bench you normally stick me on. But, do we actually have any news this week? Well, let's see, shall we? If you dunk for too long, you end up with floaters. It's time, gentle pilots. Please. Quick trip trap calls silly goats bluff. Raxler rumours rumble on. And having told him not to be here tonight, I reckon I'd better read those bits out just in case there's anything important in there. As the battle for Dunker's Rest rumbles on, more and more pilots are being drawn into the conflict. We use the word conflict loosely, as at the moment it's a combination of popularity contest with a pot of pop propaganda and a spicy side order of crispy crime. Sinbad the Bad's right-hand baddie, his not-apologising-for-things officer, has been at pains this week to point the finger firmly at the Biscuiteers, claiming that they, and not Sinbad the Bad, that have been picking a fight with Mobius, and in fact, Sinbad has been actively working to be the biggest loser in the region, whilst, of course, at the same time, praising the influence gains in other systems. Buck Naked, spokesperson for Lacon Spaceways and voice of Hutton's top trucker, launched an investigation, culminating in confirmation that the stats don't lie. And of all the missions completed by Allied forces, only two were for New Simbad in Mobia. And that pilot has profusely apologised and sent themselves to the naughty step with a fresh toothbrush and a good dose of antibiotics. At which point Sinbad the Bad's pants caught on fire and his already aquiline nose grew that little bit longer. In the lands of Colonia, where the freshly baked biscuits stand guard against the hungry belly, the pilots of WNL sit by their warm ovens and they tell a tale. They tell of the legendary Duncan the Dunk, Lord of Dunker's Rest, 
and how he was carried far away on a mission of mercy, far across the Milky Way, so that his wicked enemy, Sinbad the Bad, could steal the throne of WNL. And they tell how other lords from far and wide came to heed his call for help. They tell tales of how, upon their return, unrest was rife, and Sinbad the Bad had brought his very bad friends to sit with him at Dunker's Rest. The harbour was a haven for the skull and crossbones, the red flag and the sigil of every dastardly do-wrong this side of Wolf 359. Duncan the Dunk and his fellow lords set about the system with the law on their side and routed the wrong-uns to the four corners of the compass. Plus a few points between the only really nautical people can name. The laughable liberty of Sinbad the Baz regime slowly slid down the slider as the local population were denied their daily dunk, and Duncan the Dunk brought tales of the chocolate hobnob, the custard cream, the Oreo, and even the Stroop waffle back from corners far. Dunker's rest still rests in the hands of Sinbad the Bad, but with the help of Duncan the Dunk and the lords from afar, Soon, the smell of freshly baked treats will be wafting their way through the corridors of WNL once again. This is an all-pilots warning. The brewery is opening soon. Before you all dash for your flagons, hoist your steins and grab your drinking horns, we're still talking about the other kind of brewery, the one that hosts the Brewer Corporation. With the final phase of testing now over, the Pilots' Federation has announced that they've issued a large ship license for the latest class of craft to be certified spaceworthy and ready for sale. There are a few remaining tests and modifications to be completed before the official launch date of the 9th of June, but there has been enough jumping around in the last few weeks to certify that the witch space cloud jumps they perform haven't brought hordes of Thargoids to our doors. The aging witch space jump was mothballed for regular ship traffic with the advent of the frameshift drive, being now reserved only for large capital ships. With suitable safeguards in place, and purchasing restricted to only a handful of locations in the galaxy, the Brewery Corporation I'll say that again, the Brewer Corporation are trusting that the increase in witch space energies don't attract something scary from the lower regions of nether space. As it stands, the biggest problem that commanders are likely to face is one of finding a parking space. Hutton are expecting the shipyard locations to look like the car park of a DIY superstore on a late Saturday morning in summer, with arguments over who saw that slot first, are you going mate, and of course the obligatory dented panels as a result of wayward shopping type nines full to the brim with stuff to stuff in the shipboard shed and never be seen again. We do have a special report from LCU No Fool like one later in the show, as he's placed a pre-order for his very own COUS. Carriers of unusual size? I don't believe in them. Excitement spilled over into civil unrest this week in Bernard Star, as a new record was set for the Bernard's Kessel run. Not less than 12 parsecs, but around 260 according to an anonymous source. The pilot, who managed to avoid all systems and outbreak during the trip, claims that his piloting skills are unique. He implied that the journey could not be improved upon because he did nothing wrong. I could have done it with my eyes closed, he claimed. 
But we know that instead of getting his eye patch checked at his local branch of deck slavers, this salty pirate did the record run just to get his eye in. And because he's fond of Swedish music and cake. This story was first brought to our attention a few days ago by Golnet News Journalist, now that they're bored. They're desperate for anything that might even vaguely resemble news and have been squashing themselves into tight spaces, ignoring each other's bad breath and everything else that they might be exhaling, and pointing their lenses at anything that isn't an empty space lane or closed airlock, inventing whatever narrative will increase their circulation more than Winners does on a night in. Come to think of it, they're all nights in now, aren't they? Has its consequences. Various 105G probes have been blown up as perfectly sane members of the public have claimed that 105G radiation turns you into a newt and that members of the Ursa Illuminati star are responsible for the mysterious symbols drawn on the walls of Cubicle 3. We urge all listeners not to be drawn in by such nonsense and to remember the mantra, what would Cecil do? Whatever that is, do the opposite. With everything else that's been going on in the galaxy, other than the wild speculation over the unsolved mysteries, very little has been heard from the Dark Wheel in an awfully long time. The supposedly secretive top-secret society long associated with the word Raxler and rumoured to be the power behind the throne in the galaxy has had absolutely nothing to say about anything. The legendary tales of elite pilots admitted to their ranks, rumours of strange initiation ceremonies, funny handshake and, of course, refusal to discuss absolutely anything have just fueled the speculation machine that is the galactic tinfoil community. With a small office, a small political office, in the Shinrata Desra system, occupied by a very unremarkable set of bureaucrats, the Dark Wheel maintains an indifferent public face. Councillor Skylar Bean, possibly a pseudonym, stays very tight-lipped. Under aides, Envoy Ines Riddle and aide Charlotte Reynolds seem to be simply busy looking after the bread-and-butter missions in surrounding space. Nothing exciting, very little that's dangerous, and certainly nothing covert. It's all very universal exports for those who are fans of James Bond. Hutton can exclusively reveal that a group of pilots, as yet unnamed, are, plan- are planning to change the status quo, to bring the Dark Wheel front and centre in galactic politics, or at least at the local ballot box, and force their hand by bringing the name back onto everyone's lips. Unable to actually join the Dark Wheel, they're hoping to raise their influence high enough that someone either has to recruit them or kill them. We will have an exclusive introduction to this Pilots Federation team next week. Hello, me here. Right. I've got his notes, so let's take a look at the state of Hutton Systems at the moment. Everything's looking rosy in most of Alvin's backyard at the moment. Almost as flush as my cheeks were when I went out topless earlier. It's been an age since I did that. The wind rushing through my hair. 
You can stop looking at me like that, you lot. You know what I mean. A nice drive around O'Connor in Van Man's Star in an open-topped car. Anyway, things are looking okay. Barnard Star still has a little bit of civil unrest and Hill Harpsey, home of the banter bus, seems to be a little poorly at the moment, but everything else looks okay. In Hanky's colon, while whilst most pilots are off dealing with that Sinbad the bad fellow, our hot coal systems have been a little neglected. The good news is that leaving them well alone appears to have cleared up that nasty rash that keeps them going around a miracle of miracles. There's no election. King Hanky has asked that any work going on should be directed to the tier system. Keep an eye on your missions from other systems as they do seem to be hurting hot coal a little. So the odd donation mission when you dock at Dola, Doritos or Fort Mug would be much appreciated. Other than that, the galaxy's quite quiet this week, so that's probably all you're going to get from me. I'm not flossy, but don't worry. Be patient. She'll be along in a moment. One of the better-kept secrets of the galaxy, at least until now, is that the famous crime author, Tabitha Crispie, is actually a pseudonym of our very own flossy. She has graciously consented to us serialising her new novel, and thus the Hutton Orbital Radio Book Club is proud to bring you part one of This Other Eden, being the casebook of Miss Marbles and the story of the purloined pottery read by the author herself. So, sit back, turn down the lights, top up the megagin. Turn the lights back up again because you realise you've missed the glass in the dark and spilled your gin. And prepare to be amazed by this baffling tale. My name is Miss Marbles, and I should say at the outset that I'm nothing special, just an ordinary pilot. And although I try to live a quiet life, trouble has a habit of finding me, much like Cecil can find the last gin bottle hidden behind the sofa. The beginnings of this particular piece of trouble came in the form of a hushed noise outside my home, here in the ex-convent of St Mary's in mid-installation of Nagobadu. With my pin-sharp hearing, I determined it to be the sound of a man with a mop and a strange, dance-like way of moving across the floor. This dance led him to my door, at which point he pushed a note underneath it and mop-danced away again before I could open the door to see what he looked like. Intrigued, I opened the neatly folded piece of paper and read, 
Dear Miss Marbles, we would be delighted if you could attend our Little Orbitals annual fete and be a judge in our competition, specifically the category for Best Watercolour Painting of a Thargoid Wearing a Kilt, Highland Tartan. Never want to pass up an opportunity to see new places. I packed my bags and set sail. Of course, I know that spaceships don't have sails, but Seth Thruster really doesn't sound have the same ring to it, does it? I packed a light lunch for the trip. After all, how long could it take? Anywhere with a name containing orbital can't be that far, surely. My goodness, by the time I arrived, I'd not only finished my lunch, but I'd eaten all of the emergency rations, emptied the ship's minibar, found only on ships from Lake on Spaceways, and knitted a scarf long enough to fit 14 doctors at the same time. If anyone else says the word Hutton to me again, they'll get a karate shop to the larynx. Where was I? Oh yes, on an orbital that looks well past its prime, circling a dull grey little world that some wag called Eden, in the same way that they call tall blocks tiny, or loose knockers brains. Still, I thought, now that I'm here, I might as well make the most of it. And so I went to the assembly hall on deck two to view the exhibits for the fair. As I circulated around the various tables, I was struck by just how much spare time some people had and how arbitrary some of the categories were. My suspicion was that when the show was first created, the organiser's wife had a very specific talent and the competition was created to make sure that she always won. Why else should, would there be a category for a fruitcake where all of the fruit had to be at the bottom and the top had to be the same colour as the lead in a 2B pencil? The event had obviously grown since that time, but eccentricity was obviously still the name of the game. How else could you explain giving prizes for biggest hairy plums, neatest arrangement of gummy bears in the sock, arse most like its owner's elbow, and best potted meat of an unknown origin? Eventually, I thought it was time to head to the judge's tent and review the Thargoid watercolours for use of water, uh, for use of colour, realism, and correct usage of a tartan. I entered through the judge's tent flaps and after spending a long time checking for artistry, boldness of vision and whether the Thargoid's eyes followed you around the room, I picked my winner. Mostly because it really was the best one of the lot, but partly because of the whispered, Beetle Jude is our favourite, followed by a handshake that rustled. Proxima Centauri was setting, if not in the west, at least in the top left corner of the station as we settled into our places for the announcements and prize giving. The head judge was saying, a prize for the best double entendre has been won by Lord Shouty and so I'm going to give him one. When a door at the side of the stage burst open and a voice cried out, they've gone, they've all gone, the books. Thank you, Flossie. I think we can all agree that that was, if not arousing, it was at least rousing. Next time, part two, where Miss Marbles finds herself rubbing along the seedy underbelly of Hutton Orbital and unexpectedly 
making some new friends in the process. Flossie told you what to do. Digest, 28th of May, 3306. We read the news. So you don't have to. And in this week's news, fleet carriers coming soon. Honest. Putting the pale horse back in its stable. Gin without a slice of lemon. Fleet carriers coming soon. Honest. With the trial versions of fleet carriers all put back in their rather large cardboard boxes and the cardboard boxes stacked neatly in an extremely large room with danger, alternate galaxy, beware of the rift in space-time written on the door, commanders must wait patiently for the real thing. They don't have very long to wait, though, because fleet carriers originally announced on the 7th of October 3303 will be released a mere 976 days later, on the 9th of June 3306. That's 139 weeks, 32 and a half months, or a bit more than two and a half years since they were announced. To put that 976 days into context, fleet carriers were announced 1,026 days after the galaxy was open to commanders at the official launch of the frameshift drive. Almost half the time we have been flying in the galaxy, we've been waiting for fleet carriers. And now, here they are, or will be in less than two weeks. A number of last-minute fixes are being made. For example, subsurface displacement missiles will become even more effective at freeing up the fleet carrier fuel tritium. Or tritium, as some people pronounce it. Following a mix-up in which the United Union of Fleet Carrier Operatives refused to handle Guardian and Thargoid commodities, fearing they might carry a strange and deadly contagion, Thargoid sensors and Guardian relics, urns and orbs and so on, will be allowed to be transferred to the fleet carrier's hold, although the, fleet, although the freight handlers have won the concession that they will be allowed to wear homemade face masks while handling these commodities. Possibly more importantly... Transferring 5 billion credits into the fleet carrier's bank will no longer require holding down the plus key for five hours. The amount for transfer can now be selected in well under 10 minutes. Fleet carriers will launch in less than two weeks. That's 2,002 days after the Galaxy officially opened for business. Just in time for you to have something better to do then listen to episode 295 of Lave Radio. Putting the pale horse back in its stable. There's been a great deal of excitement over recent weeks over the appearance of an industrial complex where Ceres Tarn used to be. It was the name of the complex that caused all the excitement. The Pale Horse Industrial Complex sounded like something death 
might come riding on if he was interested in industrial complexes. And there was more than a little speculation that the place in HR1185 that had been Ceres Tarn had been repurposed to create Death for the Thargoids. Or something like that. It turns out that it was all down to a council twinning scheme. HR1185 twinned with the Pegasi sector GR-MB7-3 apparently arranged an exchange scheme whereby the workers of Ceres Tarn went to live in the Pale Horse complex and the Pale Horse people came over to the Pleiades. It was all done in a spirit of bonhomie and hands across the galaxy with no intention to cause confusion or create the impression that any sort of storyline was about to start up after nearly six months of absolutely nothing. The exchange scheme is now over and the correct names have been restored to the affected settlements. Gin without a slice of lemon. Commander LCU No Fool Like One is the owner of a temporary fleet carrier, and he failed to reach his destination. He set off to be the first commander ever to reach the Lemon Slice Nebula. The intrepid scientist, he set off in his research ship, the Lemon Slice. Unfortunately, he neglected to first check the tritium levels in his fuel tank, or indeed to take any mining equipment with him. He got to within two jumps of his destination before he ran out of fuel. Tapping the empty gauge in disbelief, he placed a call with the fuel rats who had to patiently explain that they don't provide a service to megaships. Not yet, anyway. Scanning down his list of contacts, his eye fell on the name Powell Oblivion, and in an amazingly short time, fleet carrier... Arkanen's gin pulled up beside the lemon slice with more than enough tritium to make the final two jumps, but not enough to get back home. And then they encountered another problem. The next system on the route, HIP 63885, apparently had no free slots for a fleet carrier, despite not having any fleet carriers in it. Commanders Nofu Lykon and Oblivion have raised a stern objection with the Pilots' Federation. But in the meantime, stuck where they are, out in the middle of nowhere, they were left with just gin. In sight of an unattainable lemon slice. Without any ice, and feeling just a tiny little bit bitter. And that's this week's Galnet News. Galnet News, we read the news. So you don't have to. Come on, pick up the phone. I've been on hold for three hours already. Ah, hello. This Thank is... you for calling the Brewer Corporation, home of the Drake-class fleet carrier. Your call is important to us. 
All of our operators are busy right now. Please hold while we connect you. Oh, for goodness sake, you told me that already. I just want to speak to a human being. Thank you for calling the Borough Corporation, home of the Drake Class Fleet Carrier. Your call is being recorded for training purposes. Hello, my name is Sanjay Patel. How can I be of assistance? Good day. I recently purchased a fleet carrier from a dealer in Alcor. Can I have your name, please? You should already have my name. Thank you. You should already have my name. Could I have your fleet carrier serial number? No, that's not my name. I'm LCU No Fool Like One of Canon Interstellar. I've already gave the information and my serial number to that infernal voice menu before I was put on hold. Your serial number, please, sir. M for mnemonic. 8, 4, P for pneumatic. 0, Z for zlotties. Let me just read that back to you. N for mnemonic. No, M for mnemonic. Oh, you mean N for November? M, 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 you mother. M for mother. 8, 4, P for papa. 0, Z for Zulu. Yes, yes. Can I have your name, please, sir? I already gave you my name just a minute ago. Sorry, my records don't show that ship. It shows it's registered to Justin a minute ago. My name is LCU No Fool Like One. How do you spell L-C-U? Seriously? It's L for Llama, C for Q, and U for Uber. Thank you for answering the security question. I can confirm that you are the registered owner. How can I help you today? I've been racing to get the Lemon Slice Nebula and got as far as hip 54967. I tried plotting a jump to hip 63885 and the navigation computer says there are no free slots. Ah, it's a safety feature, sir. Have you read the manual? If the number of carriers exceeds the maximum number allowed in the system, then the jump will be disallowed. But there aren't any carriers in the system. Nobody can jump. None. Zero. Zero is a number, sir. What? Zero is a number. If the maximum number is zero, then you can't jump into the next system. How can anyone jump if the maximum number is zero? Can you change it? Right, let me check. Computer says no. Look, the navigation system is clearly faulty. Can't you replace it? Have you tried turning it off and on again? Of course I've tried turning it on and off again. Okay, could you initiate the reboot and repair sequence, please, sir? Oh, very well. Diagnostic repair sequence initiated. Are you able to schedule the jump now? Computer says no. Right, could you initiate the reboot and repair sequence, please, sir? I just did that! Look, can't you just send a replacement? Right, as the unit is still under warranty, you are entitled to a replacement. You just need to go to the dealer in Alcor. 
Oh, that is just peachy. I'm 4,000 blistering light years from the dealer, and I don't have enough tritium to get there in any case. And even though I wanted to, the navigation computer won't allow me to jump into the system because there are no free slots. I demand to speak to your supervisor. I'm sorry that I wasn't able to resolve your problem to your satisfaction. Let me put me through to my supervisor. for calling the Brewer Corporation, home of the Drake Glass Fleet Carrier. We hope we were able to resolve your query to your satisfaction. Please could you take a few minutes to answer our customer satisfaction survey. What? I'm not finished, oh for goodness sake. Using your touchtone keypad, please enter a number between one and one million to indicate how satisfied you were with this call. shenanigans while you toot around in the Milky Way? Why, we install this little piece of software called the Hutton Helper in your spaceship. If you ain't already got it installed, you can install it yourself, relatively pain-free, by going to the website hot.forthemug.com. Almost as pain-free as a sunburn on your will. So let's get on to our top truckers this week. Yeehaw! From the Explorers, jumping around like them horny rabbits in a field, Commander Cometborn lit it up with 95,600 light years jump. Commander Atik 2 had fun with his trigger finger this week, turning the despicably dirty do-batter Don Antonacci and his band of pathetic pirates into space dust. He racked up almost 69.4 million credits worth of bounties while tearing the engines out of each and every one of the Don ships. Running missions like no other, 
Commander Millstone Barn tallied up 1,004 mission points this week. Don't know how, but he also seemed to have cloned himself and come in second place with 840 points as well. Except his clone name is Milestone Barn. I'm confuzzled, but probably not as much as he Loading up the new trailer attachment to the rear of a Lacon Type 9 and filling it to the brim, Commander Mindwipe hauled around 47,000 tons of cargo around the galaxy. I hear most of his cargo was face masks for those who want to get out of the house and onion head for those that don't. Driving the Hutton Uber this week, Commander Texas Stu delivered 1,234 passengers around the galaxy, earning an average of 3.9 star rating. Our fastest run to Hutton Orbital is held by Commander Brent Riverboat in 1 hour, 22 minutes, and 31 seconds. But the fastest run to Hutton in this month of May is held by Commander Retired Navy IT-1 in 1 hour, 23 minutes, and 18 seconds. If y'all think you got what it takes to beat these scores, then download the Hutton Helper and get to flying. You want to hear your name on this here radio station? Make sure you got the Hutton Helper installed. Pick it up on the web at hot.forthemug.com and get to trucking. And don't forget, if you do hear your name called out and you ain't already got one, get in touch with us to get your very own Hutton decal for your ship. Hutton Top Trucker, brought to you by Lacon Spaceways. The only ships in the galaxy would come with your own Alvin plushie you can cuddle with in your bunk. No feed necessary. In these uncertain times, now, more than ever, wise and caring commanders reach for their biscuits. But suppose there were no biscuits to reach for. That's the stark future awaiting us if we don't liberate Dunker's rest. Heads 38 are here to help you help humanity. Because when you turn the only biscuit factory in the galaxy into a jail, you make prisoners of everyone. Free Dunker's rest. Free the biscuit. Thank you for listening. I'm Mr. Dusty. Give me your trash. Slid down the slider as the local population were denied their daily dunk, and Duncan the Drunk, <laughs> Duncan the Dunk, brought tales of the chocolate hobnob, the custard cream, the Oreo, according to an anonymous, an anonymous source. <laughs> They all for the mug.